Hello and welcome back. My name is Mary. You're listening to Prologues and hello from Scotland. I didn't post an episode last week and I felt so bad about it. It's the first week I've missed since I started the podcast. I felt so horrible. But I spent last week in the south of France with my husband Matthew's family and I brought all of my recording equipment with me and I was hoping that I'd be able to find a time and a place where I could have enough quiet and enough privacy to record an episode. And it just didn't work out. So I didn't post an episode last week. I'm so sorry. Welcome back. I really missed you guys. I really didn't like not posting. So I am excited to be recording now. Hello. I've been traveling for 12 days now. I came to Aberdeen for basically one day. I landed in Aberdeen at 10 a.m. on a Monday. And then the next day, like Tuesday at 11 a.m., we flew to France. So I was in Aberdeen for 24 hours and then I got... Went to the south of France, spent six days there, and now we're back in Aberdeen, and then tomorrow I'm going to Edinburgh. So I'm going to give just a really quick catch-up with you guys, and then we'll get into today's episode topic, which I'm super excited about because it is a Hey Mary sex edition. Wah, wah. I asked you guys on Instagram, sorry, I don't know what that was. I asked you guys on Instagram a couple of weeks ago for girl talk questions because I did a girl talk YouTube video one time and y'all loved it. So I thought let's bring the girl talk to the podcast even though I I feel like on prologues we're girl talking every single week. But let's do it. I asked you guys for submissions and most of them are sex related. So we're just going to do it today. And I'm really excited because listen, when I am with my girlfriends, we talk about sex probably 90% of the time. Sex or sex-related topics like sexual wellness or sexuality, reproductive health, all of those adjacent topics. So that's what we're going to get into today. But first, I thought I'd just update you guys on what's going on with me because I feel like prologues is the number one way that I feel like you guys really keep up with me in my life. And I realized that when I went to France and I was posting in France and everything, And you girls know, like the prologues girls know what's going on. Y'all always get the tea. You always know what's going to happen before it actually happens. And because I talk to you guys so much and same thing on my YouTube, like I share a lot on my YouTube. I got all these questions while I was in France being like, wait, I'm confused. Like, or even in Scotland, like, why are you in Scotland? I didn't know math was Scottish. What are you doing there? Wait, why are you in France? And I realized, oh, I have not been adequately updating all of my platforms equally because I just tell you guys on prologues and then I think everyone is listening to it and they're not. But you guys always get the info first. So France, south of France, we were staying in this place called Saint-Genais, which is a pretty rural area. I looked it up in the town of Saint-Genais, which, listen, the people there were pronouncing it Saint-Genais. I'm so sorry if I'm not pronouncing that correctly. I had this problem the whole time I was in France. I took so many Duolingo lessons and none of them prepared me because I didn't want to be one of those ignorant Americans who comes in, like hasn't made an effort to learn the language and just expects everyone to speak English. So I made an effort to try and then I got there and I was like woefully underprepared. And I'm kind of upset because Duolingo has such good marketing that I really, (laughs) like their owl on TikTok is so convincing that I really trusted them. And maybe I just didn't get far enough in my lessons. I don't know what it was, but I have to say Duolingo did not serve me when I was in France. But anyway, I looked it up and I think the town of Saint-Genais has a population of 906 people, which honestly, for the type of vacation that I was envisioning, that was ideal. 
It was my first time in France, and I hadn't been back to Europe in a long time, since 2019. In 2019, I went to Italy to visit my brother who was stationed there, and then I went to Amsterdam to visit a friend who was staying there. And those were, like, my first times in Europe, and then obviously COVID hit. So it's been a couple of years since I'd gone back. And it was really so nice. It was just so, so nice. It was hot, very Mediterranean, palm trees and olive trees everywhere, We were about 15 minutes away from the Mediterranean. Matt's family's house had a pool. So I spent majority of my time just laying by the pool or exploring the surrounding area. You can just take walks in the countryside. And there was this beautiful old chapel from the 1800s that was still standing that you could walk around. Vineyards everywhere, a view of the mountain. Just honestly, some of the most picturesque scenery I've ever seen in my entire life. But I didn't do a whole lot that I can update you guys on. I mostly just vibed in the sunshine and I took that week off of work. I mean, okay, I still made content, but I took the week off of like admin work and editing, things like that. And I just relaxed and I had quality time with Matt and I spent time with his family and... I was very grateful to be there. I also had some eye-opening experiences with the difference between U.S. and European food quality. I don't think I'm going to get too much into it right now because I honestly want to do an entire episode on it. But you know how you've always heard when people travel to Europe, they're like, oh, I ate all the things I can't eat in the U.S. and I felt amazing and I lost weight and I had the best digestion of my life and I think the food in the United States is making me sick. So I've heard that a million times, and y'all know I grew up with like very, very health conscious, very nutrition focused parents. And so I, I didn't know that, but experiencing it firsthand, it was literally a life altering experience. I have such bad digestive issues, or I, I thought I did. Maybe I just have them in the U.S. I cannot eat dairy without problems. I can't eat a lot of bread without problems. Basically, if I'm eating anything that's not like whole food vegan, I have problems. And I just accepted that because those issues started when I stopped being vegan when I was 20 or 21. Like it's kind of a slow um, stop. And those issues started and I just was like, okay, like this is just life now. And then I go to France. I actually started when I was in Aberdeen uh, the first day when I ate this giant thing of ice cream and didn't have a stomach ache. And I was like, "Mm, I'm going to spend my waking jet lag hours researching the difference between the US and UK dairy standards and dairy industry. That will blow your mind. But anyway, I was in France and I'm literally eating my body weight in soft cheeses. I'm talking camembert. I'm talking brie. I'm talking goat's cheese. I'm talking everything you can think of. I'm eating my body weight in cheese and fresh baguettes from the bakery every single morning. My digest, I not a single stomach ache. My digestion was the best it's been in literal years. I ate pretty much nothing but dairy and bread for a week. I mean, I did have some produce, but like main diet, dairy and bread for a week, not a single stomach ache not a single headache, no no bloating. I didn't even have gas. Sorry, TMI, but like hot girls have a stomach problem. So we all get it. Nothing. And while I was there, I was so inspired to just start learning more about US food standards. And what I learned disgusted me. And then I have done a bunch of research, 
like actual research, not just Googling. <laughs> and I've made up this whole plan. I've come up with this entire plan for how I'm going to revamp my diet and nutrition when I get back to the United States at the end of August because I just experienced what it felt like to eat whatever I want and not feel sick. And I realized that a better a better way is out there. A better life is out there. But I think I might do a whole episode on that once I've actually started in the U.S. and once I've figured out what food swaps I can make. And it also inspired me to get a nutritionist because, again, I've just, like, with my digestive issues, I've been one a nutritionist anyway. And now this has really just shown me that the food that I'm eating influences the way I feel so heavily. So that was a big part of my France experience. And then we came back to Aberdeen. Aberdeen is where Matt is from. And so we have spent the past couple of days honestly just seeing friends and seeing family but the surrounding area here is insane, guys. And the number one thing I have to say, you know, when you look at pictures of Scotland, either on Instagram or in guidebooks, or you just see these images that are so stunning and you, they look like such a fairy tale and they look so magical. And in your head, you're kind of thinking like, okay, but is it that great? Because we always romanticize the places we travel to, like... When you go online and you see a depiction of something, you're obviously seeing the best possible interpretation of the thing or the place or the person or the, you know, whatever it is. Driving around the Scottish countryside, let me just tell you, it really does look like that. It, re it actually does look like that. My jaw was dropping over how picturesque and green and just unbelievably magical it all looked. The air smells different. I said this to Matt when we got off the plane the first day and we're staying in one of the largest cities in Scotland so you have to drive out maybe 10 or 20 minutes to get to the real countryside but even the air in Aberdeen it just smells different. It smells very crisp maybe because it's chilly but I don't know. It just feels like you're in someplace special and I thought it would. I had this feeling that I would get here and feel a sense of connection. And I'm definitely feeling that because you guys know I'm such a nature girly and just the nature here is insane. And after I finish recording this episode, we're going to go down to Bankery because we're going to go see another castle just casually. And it's not even a long drive. You don't even have to like go on this long journey to do it. I don't, I, I can't believe it. I keep talking to people here and I keep saying these things and they're like, oh yeah, like I guess so. I just get used to it. Like this is just normal, and I'm sure that will happen to me too once we move here, but for the time being, I am observing everything in absolute wide-eyed wonder and awe and amazement, and it feels nice. It feels like being a little kid again, just looking around you being like, oh my god, the world is so beautiful and big, and I just want to take in all of it. I've been doing all the Scotland things I have eaten Haggis. Matt tricked me into eating haggis on a burger. It actually wasn't too bad. It, it was reminiscent of ground beef with oatmeal in it. It wasn't bad. I don't think I'll have it over and over again, but I didn't hate it. And then I had store away or stone away black pudding fritters, just like deep fried black pudding. Also not bad. You just are eating it and I don't actually know fully what's in haggis or black pudding. I have a pretty good idea, but I intentionally did not look up the exact list of ingredients because I just wanted to enjoy myself. It just tastes so meaty. And the same thing goes for haggis. Haggis and black pudding just taste really meaty. 
And it does make you wonder what type of meat you're eating. I couldn't think about it for too long because I was getting a little bit anxious. But I did it. I'm glad I did it. And then I had my first fish and chips. We went down to this place called Gurdon, um, down past, um, I hope I say this right, Inverburvy. It's either Inverburvy or Inverburby, a little ways past Stonehaven. But I went there for fish and chips and I had haddock and it was actually really delicious. I dumped so much vinegar. You guys know I'm not really a seafood girl, but I wanted to have a real fish and chips because we're in the UK, of course. So I just doused everything with malt vinegar and it was actually really good. And I would eat it again because it was so fresh. We were eating the fish and chips in this extremely coastal small fishing town. And so you could tell it's just like the freshest fish you're ever going to have. And I really liked it. And I had an iron brew which tastes like bubble gum to me. I had a deep fried Mars bar, which I'm going to be honest, wasn't my thing. I've, I haven't actually had a regular Mars bar, so I didn't know what I was getting into when I had the deep fried one. It, it wasn't for me. I'm not going to lie. But again, I'm glad I did it. And then I've also had so much ice cream. The dairy here is unreal. Absolutely unreal. The scenery is beautiful. I can eat the dairy without a stomachache. Like I'm moving here tomorrow. On that note, I've alluded to this a bunch of times, but I don't think I've formally said it. I think you guys have probably figured it out, but I haven't formally said it. But Matthew and I are officially planning our move to Scotland. And one of the biggest things we're doing this month that we're here is figuring out the logistics. We're doing some research. We are making a plan and we are officially planning the move. I know that I have talked about this for years, honestly, because Matt and I have known for years that we were going to do this eventually. We are thinking next summer, that is not set in stone yet, the actual timeline, I'm not 100% sure and I will tell you guys more as I know more and as things become solidified, but, but yeah, just a little life update, a little announcement. We are officially planning the move. I'll let you guys know what the timeline is when I know more, but it probably, I mean, it's likely not going to be until next summer. But plans are being put into motion and it feels really nice because this is something we've talked about for our whole relationship and I'm just really excited. Tomorrow we go to Edinburgh. By the time you're listening to this, I will be in Edinburgh, but I'll have to update you guys about that in next week's episode. So real quick, we can do some culture club. I finished the Priory of the Orange Tree and I loved it. You guys have been telling me for years to read this book and I haven't and I don't know why because it's so good. It was a nine out of 10 for me, which I haven't rated a book that highly in a long time. It's about 800 pages and it's this really like complicated fantasy novel with a lot of world building and a lot of backstory and very conflicted and complicated and messy female characters, which I love, women who are villains, women who are heroes, women who have redemption arcs, women who make mistakes, women who are extraordinary, and women who save the day just by being themselves. I mean, we get the best of all worlds here. We have religion and politics, and we have scheming and mystery, plots and assassination, war, fantasy, animals, magic, pretty much everything I like in a fantasy novel, this book had. I really thoroughly enjoyed it. If you've read it, the only thing I'll say, this isn't a spoiler, but I will say Nicolay's ruse bored me for hundreds of pages, but then by the end I was rooting for him and 
I understood the point to his story. But I have to say, Nick Lazarou is like, I just didn't understand why I had to keep reading about this guy for that long. But then it all came together, so it's fine. Loved The Priory of the Orange Tree. I've heard that there is a prequel, so I need to read that too. Definitely want to. But honestly, one of my favorite things was just that I haven't read such a long book in a really long time. I haven't read anything more than four or 500 pages in a couple of years. And it just felt so nice to spend so much time with the same characters and to get so wrapped up in a narrative. And I am a really fast reader. And so a lot of times, if it's a shorter book, like if it's only a couple hundred pages, I'm probably going to end up finishing it in one sitting, which I like. I mean, it helps you keep track of everything, but I also don't like it because you don't get any time with the characters. I don't know. I end up missing them after I finish reading because I feel like I didn't get any time. And so I came back to this book over the course of multiple sittings because I didn't have... I finished it while I was in France because I had downtime, but I had started it back in July in Arlington and I didn't have like hours to sit down and read it every day. So I just came back to this book so many times over the course of like three weeks and it felt amazing to be able to do that. And it's inspired me to read just so many more books that are this length um, in the future. So I have to do it. When I posted it on my Instagram story, everyone was like, okay, but have you read Things by Sarah J. Mass? And yes, I have. I'm just going to say I've read everything she's written. I do think The Priory of the Orange Tree is better than Akatar, And I, I would also say I, it's hard to compare this to Throne of Glass, just because Throne of Glass is such a long series with so many books. I would say if Prior of the Orange Tree had a zillion books like Throne of Glass, I think I would like it more. I do think it was better written than Akatar. I don't know how it's going to hold up to Crescent City. I don't know. We're waiting on the next Crescent City novel, and I'm not sure. I do think Crescent City, in my personal opinion, is my favorite out of all the Sarah J. Mass series, but we'll see. I don't know. I just feel like I had to mention that because when I said on Instagram, I liked this book, everyone was like, SJM, SJM. So yeah, I've already read SJM. Very excited for Crescent City 3. I believe the book I was telling you about last time was called The Catch. I don't think I updated you guys on the ending of The Catch, but I did really like it. I talked about this in my episode 13, 25 Thoughts for 25th Birthday. Uh, Very sad, heavy themes of grief and loss and learning things about your parents that you don't want to know. But I also really enjoyed it. Um, One of my close friends, I mentioned in the episode, one of my close friends had lost her father. She started reading it based off of my recommendation and she said that she did really like it. So grain of salt, as always with anything that has a trigger warning like that, because I mean, if you have experienced close grief, it is going to, it is going to bring up those feelings for you, but I really liked it. I would definitely recommend I want to tell you guys more about the books I'm liking lately, but I absolutely have to get into this episode or else I'm going to be here for hours. The only other favorite I'll tell you about is I have the Calpac Luca Duffel. I got it, I think, at the end of June to use as a personal item on airplanes, and it is the best personal item I have ever used. I'm officially a Calpac stand for life. I love it. I have it in a bright green color. I'm tempted to get a second one, maybe in a more neutral color, so Matt can use it too. And then if Matt's not using, I could use both um, as weekend bags or something. It is the best piece of travel luggage I have ever invested in so far. I'm obsessed with it. I can't believe it took me this long to get a dedicated personal item. Love, 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 love.
Okay, let's get into the episode. This is Hey Mary, Girl Talk edition, and by girl talk, I mean sex talk, because that's what most of the questions ended up being about, which I love. So I asked you guys on Instagram to send me in some questions, and we're just gonna go through. This is a listener-directed episode. Y'all pick the topics, y'all pick the vibe, and I'm excited. So, just straight off the bat, I'm gonna let y'all know two things. I received hundreds of responses to this question box, hundreds, and by far the top two questions revolved around two things. One, people asked about feeling like they should have had their first kiss or their first time or their first relationship younger than they are. Like a lot of people DM'd and said, I'm 21 or I'm 18 or I'm 24 or I'm 28 and I've never had my first XYZ. So many of y'all wrote in about that saying you felt so alone, so isolated, like everyone else was doing things that you weren't doing. And every single one of you mentioned just feeling left behind and like left out. But so many of you guys wrote in about this, okay? And same goes for the other one. People wrote in about lack of libido, feeling guilty about having a low sex drive, a low libido on medication. And again, everyone's saying just, I feel like I'm the only person in the world this happens to. Guys, I just want you to know, hundreds of you wrote in about those two issues. So just straight off the bat, I want you to know, neither of those are completely unique experiences that you need to feel bad about or you need to feel isolated by. So many of you are going through the exact same thing. And I wish there was a way for me to put all of you guys who wrote in about these two things in like one giant group chat so you could all talk about it and get advice and comfort from each other. I wish there was a way for me to do that. But just take my word for it. There's so many of you guys going through the same thing and I just don't want anyone to feel bad or feel alone because I promise you're not. That being said, let's go through a couple. So number one, I'm nearly 21 and I haven't had my first kiss yet. There have been talking stages, nothing ever checked out. Is this insanely weird and do you have advice? And again, as I answer this question, just imagine me also talking to all of you who were 16 and who haven't had their first kiss. 24 and who haven't had sex for the first time, 28 and haven't had a relationship. The answer is all the same, I think. And that's you get to decide the timeline of your own life. And there is no such thing as being behind when it comes to this. These are all very vulnerable and intimate experiences. Your first kiss, your first time, your first boyfriend or girlfriend. You're allowed to approach this any way you want, you know? You can view your first kiss, your first time, your first relationship as something that you want to wait until it's perfect for, or you can decide this is something I want to get out of the way. I don't think either of those approaches are wrong as long as you feel comfortable and you feel in control of the situation. The biggest thing people were asking though is just about this feeling of being too late. And you guys know, I don't believe in the concept of being too late for things because I believe that everyone has time. I believe that you have time. I don't think it's weird, okay? I do not think it's weird to be whatever age you are and still waiting for the right opportunity to have your first whatever. Because what that says to me is not that it's not like, oh, you're weird and that's why it hasn't happened. No, it just says that you haven't found the right moment yet. And when the right moment comes along, whether it's with someone you're really serious about or someone you're not serious about, it doesn't matter. When the right moment comes along and you feel right and you feel ready, then you'll do it and it will happen and it will happen when it's meant to happen. 
but you shouldn't compare yourself to other people who are doing things younger than you are because their timeline is their timeline. Their journey is their own journey. You're not weird. You're not like nothing's wrong with you. This isn't anything to be embarrassed about. Okay. I promise it is nothing to be embarrassed about. If you go out and talk to other people, you will talk to so many people who regret their first time or the person they had their first time with. They regret things that they rushed into. They regret dating someone because they knew it wasn't right for them at the time, but they just did it anyway because they wanted to have a boyfriend. You will hear so many of those stories. So I don't think you need to feel bad or guilty or ashamed or embarrassed at all about not having your moment yet, okay? Again, you get to decide how much of a big deal you want your first whatever to be. I think it's fine to be like, you know what? I want to get it over with because I don't like this idea of the first hanging over me. I think virginity is a completely made up concept by men to control women, especially coming from purity culture like I did. I don't believe in virginity anymore. I think that's a control tactic and a scare tactic. Also, I'm sorry, but does anyone even have a hymen anymore? I swear to God, I've had this conversation with my girlfriend so many times. Absolutely none of us can recall a moment where they broke their hymen. Like, none of us. I don't know if I ever even had one. Or maybe mine broke when I was like a kid from horseback riding or bike riding or gymnastics or something. I don't know. That's the only mark of virginity that people have really adhered to over the course of history. And not a single person I know can ever recall having or breaking one. Like, it's just not relevant anymore. If you do feel like your virginity is important to you, then by all means, please do not feel rushed into anything. Wait until a moment when you feel you're comfortable. If you don't feel like virginity is a real thing, you just kind of want to get it over with so you don't have this idea of the first hanging over you, I think that's very valid too. I just want you to be safe. I want you to pick someone who's going to treat you well and make you feel good and prioritize your comfort, pleasure, and experience. But you get to decide. You get to decide how all of this looks for you. You have control over this. So don't feel bad. Honestly, all this means, whether it's a kiss, sex, a partner, all this means is that the right person hasn't come around, the right person who's going to make you feel safe, comfortable, valued, etc. All that means is that person hasn't found you yet. It's nothing to do with you. It has to do with that person not finding you. So you get to decide. We are pro whatever women want to do here at Prologues, we do not judge how you go about your first time doing anything you want. All I want is for you to just to be safe and to feel comfortable and happy. But don't feel bad. And again, hundreds of you guys said the same thing. So you're really not alone. Number two, I'm scared to have my boyfriend go down on me. This wasn't a question. It was just a statement. But I just thought I'd read it aloud because I remember one time Back when I was, like, younger and a little bit more vulnerable online, I remember making this TikTok on my second account being, like, I get so anxious at the idea of someone going down on me. At this moment now, I'm, like, hyping myself up to talk about this online. I used to be so open back then, you guys, and then I closed up a little bit just for my own self-preservation and sanity, but I remember making this TikTok being, like, for whatever reason... That gives me anxiety and so many people in the comments related. So I just wanted to read this out because I know that this is not something you're alone in at all. I get that. I also feel that anxiety. I think it's because 
it's such an insanely vulnerable thing. It's so intimate. Like, it's even more vulnerable than just having sex in the first place. So it's a whole new level. But I would say my only advice or response to this is that you don't have to try to make yourself like anything. Some people love getting eaten out. Some of my friends love getting eaten out. It's like their favorite thing. They want it every time. It always makes them finish. It's their favorite. That's great. Some of my friends and myself included, there's some kind of mental block there. It's difficult to get in the moment. It's difficult to feel calm and relaxed. It just feels like a lot. It's kind of overwhelming. That's fine too. We just don't do it. We just do other things that feel better. You know, I don't think you have to make yourself like every single part of the sexual experience just for the sake of doing it or just because you feel like you should. And I'm sorry if that's not the answer you wanted. Like maybe you wanted tips on how to get over that feeling of discomfort. But personally, I'm not trying to get over it really. Sometimes, sometimes I'll be in the mood. Sometimes it feels nice. A lot of the times I start feeling anxious and overwhelmed and I'm not sure why. You know, maybe that's something I have to unpack in therapy. I don't know. I'm not really in a hurry to unpack it because we just do other stuff and that other stuff makes me very happy. So again, maybe you just wanted to know tips on how to get over it. I don't have any, but what I do want to say is that you don't have to make yourself like things just because you feel like you should. You can just find other things that you like personally. Number three, does your sex life come in phases? Been married one year, have lived many sex lives together. I love this question because, yes, I think it does. I think your sex life with a partner, especially a long-term partner, when it comes to frequency of sexual encounters, uh, intensity, variety, trying new things, basically everything, I think it's pretty normal to go through phases of more activity, less activity, and I don't think that means anything bad about you or the relationship. I think it's just life. I think sometimes you go through periods of life where like you're both going through something stressful and your sex life is a little bit, you know, a little bit lower. And then you go through periods where life is really great and you're able to have loads of quality time and be together without being distracted and your sex life is a little higher. I love the phrasing, we've lived many sex lives together, because that's exactly how I view it as well. You're going through this journey together, this journey of life and sex and relationships. And in my case, you know, marriage, everyone always says like, oh, life has ups and downs. And it's such a cliche, but God, life has so many ups and downs. Like there have been times in my relationship where we're just both going through a lot at work. We both have a lot of expectations placed on it, on us. So maybe we're working a little bit later at night. Maybe we're just more distracted and it's not the ideal scenario for having a lot of sex all the time because we have things we have to focus on. And that's fine because we know that work is going to calm down and then we prioritize this again. I don't think that's bad. I don't think you need to pressure yourself to have the most like epic, insane, crazy sex life 24-7. I don't think anyone is having that. I'm sorry. I don't think anyone is doing that. Like even couples who I know who have sex really, really, really frequently, even they go through periods where you're just busy. Like you just have stuff to do and it's fine because you know, you'll just, you know, you'll, you'll just come back to it. I do think prioritizing intimacy, whether that be sex or whether intimacy looks like something else for you, 
is very important. I do think intimacy in its various forms does need to be a really high priority in a relationship. And I also think sexual chemistry is super important. This might be a controversial take or a hot take, but I do think sex is important. It's not the most important thing by any means, but I think having sexual chemistry and being attracted to your partner is very important in a relationship. I feel like people almost act like that's shallow these days. Like it's shallow to just want to be attracted to your partner or to want them to be attracted to you. But I honestly don't think it is. I think there's so many things that couples connect over. Personality, character, values, ethics. I don't know, religion, spirituality, politics, family values. Like there's so many different things that couples come to an agreement on or connect over. You want someone who can make you laugh. You want someone who is loyal. You want someone who can handle tough times. Like there's so many things that you're looking for when you're determining whether or not someone is compatible with you. And I think it is so normal and not at all shallow to also consider, am I attracted to this person? Do they make, do they give me butterflies? Do I feel passionate around them? Sex is a big deal. It's not the biggest deal. Okay. I'm not saying we all need to go out and be like, I just want a partner who's super hot and I don't care if they have a brain. I don't care if they're loyal to me. I don't care if they're financially responsible. Like, no, not at all. But I think it is important. How that relates to this question is just, I think it's okay to have ups and downs. I think it's okay for your sex life to ebb and flow as life takes you through all its various twists and turns. Because in a long-term relationship, things will always come back to an equilibrium. If that's one thing I've learned in my relationship, it's that life will always get crazy and it will always get better. But yeah, like I said, I think intimacy also doesn't have to be sex all of the time. There have been times in my relationship, just personal experience, where whether it's stress, bad mental health on my part, something else going on in life, our sex drives haven't lined up or sex hasn't been the biggest priority, but intimacy in other ways is. So one way that we practice intimacy pretty much every day is just carving out a chunk of every evening to really talk, really connect, not just, hey, how was your day? Although we do ask that, but really ask, how are you feeling? What are you worried about? What are you excited about? What was the best thing that happened to you today? What was the worst thing that happened to you today? What type of long-term things are you thinking about right now? Asking those questions, we ask that almost every day to each other, and you might think that the answers would get repetitive or get boring. They really don't. Every single day, your partner is going to have something new to share with you and some new insight or some new epiphany they've had, some new goal or idea. There's always something to talk about. And connecting on that mental level for me and for my partner is a form of intimacy that makes you feel closer, that makes you feel so connected and so in love. And so there are times when, you know, sex isn't really happening, but that is, and that's what keeps us close. And then there are times where sex is happening all of the time, and that's great too. Like, it's all good. I think we put sex on this pedestal as like the most high value form of intimacy you can have in a relationship. And again, I think it's very important. I don't think it's shallow to acknowledge that either. 
But I don't think it's the most important and you can find ways to make it work through all seasons of life. Because as this person said, in a long-term relationship, you are going to live through many different sex lives together. And I think that's beautiful. It's just something you go through together, something you can look back and reflect on. Just another shared experience for the two of you. And I love that. How did you ignore the expectations of others when wedding planning? Well, they weren't paying for it. I was. So I did what I wanted. How to communicate to your partner something you want sexually without hurting their feelings. This is a good one. This is a good one and a tough one because I think we've all been in this situation where maybe you're new in a relationship and this person just hasn't figured out what you like yet. Or maybe you gave it a lot of time thinking they would figure it out and they just haven't and now it's been like a couple of months or a year or even more and you're like, mm, okay, how do I break it to this person that there are things I want that I haven't told them about yet? I don't think that's an uncommon experience. I think we've all been through that with at least one partner in our lives. First of all, I do think you need to tell them. I think it is on all of us to communicate our sexual desires and expectations because your partner can't read your mind. They might need your help figuring things out. And don't we all just want to have the best sex possible? Like, of course, we all just want to have the greatest sex lives that we can. And so if that means that we need to have like one or two initially awkward conversations so that our partner knows what we like, we got to do that, girls. Like we have to go do that. That's what's going to be best. It's going to rock our world. I'm always in support of just having as much open and honest communication with a partner as possible. Now, how to do it. I think you should be careful to just really phrase it in a way that communicates that your partner hasn't been doing anything wrong. You just want them to do something extra that's right. Does that make sense? Like, I think you just have to phrase it not as a critique of your partner, not like you don't like you don't even know me. You don't know what I like. You're terrible in bed. Like, no, we're not going to do that. I think we're going to take the opposite approach and just be like, I love having sex with you and I love this thing and I would love it if we could do this thing while we're having sex. I think that's the way you need to go. When you're just speaking to your partner, like you just want them to know that you want them. I don't know. I think your partner is probably going to pick up on your energy. So if you're feeling super anxious and awkward to have this conversation, I think they're going to sense that energy in the air and then probably feel anxious and awkward themselves. So I personally wouldn't make it this big sit down conversation unless it's a really big thing. And I'm not even sure what that would look like. But if you just like want them to try something new or you figured out what you like in your own time, <laughs> in your own time or in your past and they haven't started doing that yet, then just say that and be brave and be bold and definitely do it. Don't be shy. Don't be scared. This is how this is how people have good sex lives, okay? Every person you know who has a fantastic sex life has had this conversation with their partner. I guarantee it. Ask for what you want. Know what you want. Be bold. If they're a good partner, all they want to do is make you feel good anyway. And so unless it's something that crosses one of their boundaries, in which case you'll figure that out during the conversation, just ask. It can't hurt to ask. Oh, this one is good. This is, I think, number six. Do you tell your girls everything about you and Matt's relationship or keep it sacred? This is such a good question and I think it's not a black and white answer. So I believe in privacy. You guys know that. You know I have boundaries online and offline and I have boundaries with my 
you know, in real life friends surrounding what I talk about with my relationship as well. I do believe in privacy. I don't think you should go running to your friends or your mom whenever every little thing happens. I think reserve that energy for actually talking to your partner and communicating things. I also feel like in long-term relationships, especially sometimes there are just tiny little things that annoy you because that happens to everybody. And if you go to your friends or your mom or something just to like bitch about this one tiny thing, they might take that as a big thing and then think of your partner differently. And I am not talking about situations where something abusive is happening or something toxic is happening. I'm talking about the normal, everyday little stuff that will, like, you'll always have at least one thing that annoys you. That's just the way life works. I think it's also hard if you're going to share stuff with your friends and family They're going to view your partner differently. And sometimes you need that third party perspective. Because again, if something like abusive is happening, yeah, your friends and family can help you see clarity. They can help you get away from that situation and help you see how wrong it is. But again, that's not really what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about things that every couple goes through. I believe in privacy. You should work through things together. You should put all of your priority and focus into the other person and resolving whatever is at hand. And then maybe further on down the line, once it's not in the moment, once everything has been resolved, and once you have some perspective, if it's relevant and there's a reason to, then I think sharing is okay, but I still wouldn't share too much. I really do believe in privacy. That being said, I do tell my girlfriends a lot But I don't talk about arguments or disagreements or things. I'll tell funny stories, you know, that happen between the two of us or funny anecdotes. But there is always a boundary that I won't cross. And there's always um, stuff that I'll never share. And I personally think that's the best way to go about it. Sometimes that's hard. I was in a situation with a relationship I had several years ago, not my husband, a different person. And because I believe in privacy, I wasn't really telling my friends everything that was going on in the relationship out of respect for those boundaries. And I looked back later and I wish that I had because there were abusive things that were going on towards me and I didn't really realize it because I wasn't seeing it from a third party perspective. And if I had told my friends or my family, they maybe could have helped me see that what was happening to me was wrong, but I didn't. So it is very tricky to navigate. I think the line, okay, here's what I think. How you figure out whether you should share or not share. If you're in a situation, something bad is happening to you or something is going on and you would be afraid of what your friends or your family would say if they knew, then I think that's an indicator that you should share because maybe something bad is going on. If you're in a situation where you're just like irritated or annoyed You don't want your friends and family to think differently of them, but you also know that, like, it's not the worst thing in the world. You are going to work through it. Like, it's going to be fine. Then I would keep that private. I don't think you should go to your friends and family to bitch. I think that's the distinction. Let me know if you enjoyed this Girl Talk episode. I know it was kind of snappy. Actually, no, I've been recording for 54 minutes. It was not snappy. I've been talking forever. 
I hope that you like this. I had fun recording it because I this I love talking about this. This is what I talk about with my friends all the time, and you guys are my friends, so I love that we're just all in this one little. It feels like a big group chat together, and we're just being girls, and I love that. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. Let me know if you'd like to do more girl talks in the future. It's been a minute since the last Hey Mary episode, and I actually have so many listener submissions for a future Hey Mary episode in the more traditional sense, like in the way that you guys email me and we talk about three or four specific topics and situations. This one was pretty general, but I had a lot of fun. So let me know if you guys liked it. I hope you guys have the best week ever, and I can't wait to talk to you next week. I can't wait. I don't even know what I'm going to have to tell you next week. I'm not sure, but I just know I, I already can't wait to tell you guys about it. Okay. Have a good week, you guys. I love you, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye.